0: We're having technical difficulties with Bliss's Wi Fi today. So, uh, my computer, for whatever reason, won't, won't pick it up. So, I'm just going to leave it sitting here. And I even went and got a brand new microphone for my computer to make it all smooth and, and try to have you guys hear us better. Uh, we already went through the introduction. But um, <laughs> if you are having trouble with uh, hearing us on um, Facebook, then go to your Instagram page, which is
1: uh, Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. Layla. Hi,
0: Layla. All
1: right. I see you're live on Facebook. Oh, look, you're doing both. Thanks, Hannah. Um, okay, great. So, how was your week?
0: Uh, two sets of twins.
1: Yeah. Both far away? No. I'm trying to get closer to yeah. one,
0: you. One in San Diego mm-hmm. and one in Reseda.
1: Oh, yeah, Reseda. Yesterday,
0: Reseda. Yesterday was Reseda. Oh. I can briefly go through them. Um, the one in San Diego was 40 weeks and had had it. Yeah, we so, talked
1: about that last time. We well, but, were about to go there. Yeah,
0: I went there. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. All right, so I went down. We got there about 9.15, 9.30 in the morning. I did a sweep on her. By 10 o'clock, she drank the castor oil cocktail. And then Beth and I went to the harbor mm-hmm. to walk around for two hours. We walked around. We ended up going to a takeout place and getting some not very good chicken. Mm-hmm. So I won't I won't mention the name of the place. And then we went back to the house, and things were still quiet. They were out for a walk. The family, we watched them walk toward the house down the block and she looked like nothing was happening Mm. so then we had the discussion about well what happens if we go through this whole day and nothing happens
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we didn't really have that discussion beforehand because we just thought it would happen because when I swept her she was 5 centimeters yeah okay so I Beth and I went to take a nap (laughs) and apparently at 2.13 in the afternoon she texted me that the um her water broke, but I was asleep.
1: In her house. <laughs> In her house. Yeah.
0: So she didn't come knock on our door till 2.30. Mm-hmm.
1: All
0: right. By that point, she was the contractions. She was just started having contractions. They were booming. She had started about an hour before, but they weren't bothering until her water broke, which is classic. Yeah. And then, uh, so at 2.30, so it'd be, at 2.32, I texted the team. Everybody was around, but they were, everybody was out. Even the husband was out <laughs> with the other kid <laughs> at the park. All right.
1: Letting her wreck.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 15 minutes later, baby A came. 245 or something like that. And then 14 minutes after that, at 259 or something like that, uh, baby B was a uh, was breached. And we ended up having to do a breach extraction for um, uh, the heart rate went down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, it was uncomfortable for her. But fortunately, there's a, this amnestic effect that goes along with having babies. And so uh, everything came out great. But it was... It was it was zero to sixty in in thirty minutes.
1: Well, thank gosh you were down there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. So my, my team that was in the in town, well, so they missed one or two of the babies coming <laughs> because they came so fast. And she she only texted me. She didn't. She forgot she was supposed to text the group when she broke her bag of waters, and she just texted me.
1: Oh, poor lady. She's by herself, having <laughs> booming contractions, and yeah. But sister. we're in the house, just yeah. knock on the door. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it worked well, out great.
1: Congratulations, so that to was them. great. That
0: was great. The babies are doing great. And uh, we have not been back down there, but the San Diego midwife that's helped us out has been doing great. That's Nicole Morales, so a shout out to Nicole.
1: I wanna say hi to Kimmy from UK, midwife in UK who's tuning in today.
0: Nice. Yeah. I wish I had a British accent. <laughs> All right. It's funny because I, I interviewed a woman from UK yesterday in my office and and not only do you guys drive on the on the well, we drive on the wrong side of the road, but you also say your dates backwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: so very w- I wonder why did America
0: choose to do it differently just to be different from you? I wonder why that is. That we drive on the right side of the road and you drive on the left and then and then we say month, date, and year, and they say date, month, and year. Mm-hmm. Don't know. I don't know either. Mm-hmm. Alright, and then yesterday's twins were she was also 39 weeks and six days but she okay. went into labor on her own mm-hmm. she, she texted me at 5 five thirty in the morning something like that saying her water just broke and i know what that means in <laughs> a multiferous woman and so we went we all mobilized we got there and baby a came in the water in the tub at uh, seven fifty eight, and then got her out we had some d-cells so we got her out of the tub and onto the bed broke baby B's bag of waters and baby B came 29 minutes later uh, also head down so, but it was interesting because the baby was a back down transverse lie when baby A was still in the uterus and once baby came out it turned and came from a vertex. So these are the kind of things that women will get C-section for because they don't doctors don't like the position of baby B and are not comfortable if the baby bee doesn't come down vertex, but yet here's one where it came down vertex. In any other setting, she would have had probably a cesarean section, and two weeks ago. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But interestingly enough, with with, um, with the the lady yesterday, she also then had a postpartum hemorrhage. And a nice one. (laughs) (laughs)
1: A <laughs> <laughs> nice one. A nice one. This is not necessarily me. Yeah.
0: We ended up having, you know, we started with fundal massage, you know, bimanual massage, gave some IM Pitocin. And the minute that the idea of an IV entered our my mind and the midwife's mind, we just said that if it enters your mind, this is a good rule to have, yeah. put it in. So we put an IV in, we added some Pitocin to the IV. Um she continued to have bleeding, we continued to massage her uterus and do this bimanual massage. I then had TXA in my bag, I have never used it before, I've been carrying it around for a while. It's transdemic acid, or I think that's how you pronounce it. So that's a thousand milligrams, we put the piggyback bag and we put that in, and then we also gave her some misoprostol at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And gradually we, got, we caught up, we ended up giving her 3100 cc's of IV fluid, and um, we thought her blood loss was probably fifteen hundred, but it was probably more than that.
1: And was her um, was her uterus just
0: never? No, her firm. uterus was always firm. It was, it was the lower. It was just the lower part of her uterus.
1: Was her the um, placentas?
0: Two separate beautiful placentas.
1: Were they were they low lying?
0: Um, uh, no, not particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I did I, I did at some point I I put a Foley catheter in her too. And we left that in overnight because we we, we we initially wanted to make sure that her bladder was empty. And sometimes people will just straight cath them. But here's a woman who lost all this blood. I didn't want her getting out of bed for a day. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to have a Foley catheter that you can put in. And we got about almost 600 cc's out initially. And then she put out, God, she put out all the fluid over the next 24 hours.
1: And then you take that out? I went, to,
0: I went over there the, just this morning, just mm-hmm. now, and took it out. She's good. We got her. We got her to sit up. Her blood pressure was stable. We got her up to the bathroom. She was stable. Uh, We checked the babies out. So I think we're we're good. Mm -hmm. And just out of curiosity, sort of out of curiosity, because again, I'm a believer that you treat the woman and not the lab number. But but we offered her the idea of checking her hemoglobin. Yeah. And so we did. We drew it, and we'll see what that is. And I'll let you guys know next week.
1: Um, Someone's asking, what is a breech extraction?
0: Oh, Breach extraction is when uh, the second baby is in any position but head down, and you need to get it out. So you, after the first baby's out, you go up, you break the bag of waters, and you go up and you find a foot or two feet, and you, and you pull the feet down. If the baby is even head down, you can actually push the head back up. If it's You have to do it quickly. Um, if, the, if the baby's not coming fast enough, you can push the head back up, and find the feet, that's called an internal pedalic version, but it's technically the same as a breech extraction because you grab the feet and you pull pull the feet down and then you do a assisted breech delivery. Mm-hmm. It's not like you then, once you get the baby breech, then you stop and let them and push? the No, because you're doing it because there's an issue with the baby's heart rate. And my feeling is with breech babies is once you start to intervene with them, you should finish the delivery. There are other people who think that once you restore the mechanism of a breech delivery, you can then back off. But generally, if you're messing with a breech, it's because there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. So just finish it. But so you reach up and get it. It's very uncomfortable. Obviously, the women are—they don't have an epidural, so an anesthesia. But um, that's part of the counseling that goes on in the prenatal time uh, during their prenatal visits.
1: It's a life-saving measure. So.
0: And it's not being taught. Yeah. Anymore. You taught me. I haven't done one. <laughs> no, we
1: hopefully teach I won't we, we to, teach the, We
0: teach this at the um, at the breach seminars that
1: mm-hmm.
0: we aren't having right now <laughs> mm-hmm. because nobody's they're all having, getting canceled. They're all getting canceled, but hopefully they'll be back up soon. Um,
1: I'd love to hear if you are providers where you're um, tuning in from and what's happening in your area regarding PPE. Um, uh-huh. I started an informed consent this week in my practice and i um, just curious to know if uh, what's going on out there in the world.
0: Yeah, I got some strong feelings about that right now. I think we could probably go into that. We could do some other stuff later on. Did you have any births this week?
1: I didn't have any births this week. I'm waiting. Okay. I'm waiting for about four.
0: <laughs> yes, two of them I'm involved with. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but no, I got a little bit of a break this week. Um, the mom that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, who uh, is 32 weeks now, but she um, was having some bleeding, and then we discovered that she had a previa. She was in the hospital overnight. She had some more bleeding, yeah. so she went in and um, and they gave her the steroid for the baby's lungs, um, and then they gave her some other medication, not tributaline and it gave her severe heart palpitations and. One of the side effects is a heart attack, so she And they gave that it.
0: medication for?
1: Um, to stop the contraction. Yeah,
0: well, they don't give tributaline in women that are bleeding.
1: Ah, that's why.
0: Because tributaline is a vasodilator. So what happens when a woman's bleeding and you give them a vasodilator? They bleed more. They bleed more. Yeah, right. got it. So I don't know what drug they would have given her. I mean, sulfate is the only one I can think of. No, they didn't give her magnesium. It was another one. But, um,
1: nifedipine. Maybe.
0: Was it sublingual? I didn't know. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. But she declined it, so she's uh, working on getting out of the hospital right now, and things have really slowed down. So, fingers crossed, she continues to keep her baby in. As a doula,
0: yeah. Let's talk about masks a little bit, all right? Okay. But before I do that, I, I wanted to tell you. I mean, I was talking to my son.
1: Oh, in the hospital. I,
0: I have I have three stepsons and one daughter, and three of my kids all have significant others, mm-hmm. and one doesn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he expressed to me this week how depressed he is Mm -hmm. because, you know, he he used the word jealous. I don't think he's jealous. I think he's envious of his siblings that they all have somebody to hang with and he isn't working and he isn't dating and he's 27 years old.
1: I don't know how you date right now, but that's
0: why I laugh. Right. I'm just saying. (laughs) And it's awful.
1: Yeah.
0: And ultimately. My good sense says that there's no reason for it. Which part? The the, the 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 ridiculousness in our state of what's going on.
1: We just got locked down, by the way, for another not two me. months. If you don't
0: know. Not me.
1: Yeah. What's, what does that mean?
0: I'm not following it. Yeah. I'm not wearing a mask. And I'm not staying inside. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to... I think that more and more people, if they have common sense and they need to get over their fear and realize that, you know what, it's really interesting how the lockdown is supposedly, I heard an interesting stat today, the lockdown is supposedly slowing the spread of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't slowed the spread of the flu this year. So how come? It really works, all right? And why, why are countries like Sweden and countries and states like South Dakota and Georgia who are who are being ridiculed by some of the mainstream left-wing press, how, how come they are suddenly seeing this horrible, horrible outbreak because they're opening up?
1: I heard that Georgia had a had a Well, spike. it's not
0: true. Okay. But
1: they didn't have Nothing
0: you hear in the media is true. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Okay, And what does a spike mean? What's, what's the cost of having a few more cases if you have liberty and businesses and people economically surviving? And you have young men who can find young women and go out on dates,
1: which is life.
0: Which is life.
1: Yeah,
0: he really, really, really was sad. Yeah, and I hear it in him, and I understand that. You know, I'm single too. All right, I have you <laughs> once a week. Okay, <laughs> puzzle with you have to come puzzle with. But no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a different age than he is. He's at an age where this is the prime of his life. And you can't meet people. And then he, that, some people are really fearful. They're really nervous. They're really scared. And they, and, and when you, I heard a really interesting term today also that I was listening. Because I, I do a lot of reading on this stuff and I can't help it. Um, a, a writer named Joel Cotkin came up with the term hygienic fascism. Mm-hmm. And when I think back about it, I think, that, you know, it's really what it is. I mean, we have the smoking police Telling you that you're going to die from secondhand smoke, and we have the uh, coronavirus thing. And then we look back at our own profession and look what the medical world did to the home birthing midwifery profession 100 years ago. Right? Mm-hmm. They used fascistic tactics to take over and to control people on how they gave birth. Yeah,
1: it worked. And,
0: and it's working, and it works now too. And we have to we have to be aware of it, and we have to stop. And I know that in my practice right now, I'm honoring people who want me to wear a mask. But I'm almost at the point right now that if in the next couple of weeks things don't lighten up or people don't, I'm willing to tell patients who, who insist on wearing masks that I'm not ready to take care of them anymore.
1: That's strong. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I, I feel it's foolish.
1: Um, but don't you believe it's informed consent, though?
0: Yes. But I have the right as my business owner to say, you know what, we're not wearing masks in my business. Mm-hmm. You don't want to come here, don't come here. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: So I took a slightly different approach.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew that.
1: <laughs> I believe in informed consent. And so this week I did um, work on um, an informed consent with a, with a midwife sister of mine who works in San Diego. And um, she uh, really wrote the majority of this. And um, so there's an option for them to request that I wear glove and mask the entire time, um, that I remain six feet away and wear a mask when I'm close, which is what I've been doing as of now. And then um, that I only wear a glove and mask when symptoms of or known suspected exposure to any viral agents in myself or my midwife. So um, I had five clients the other day, and two opted for the middle range, which I think are my more kind of nervous conservative. Nobody opted for me to have them on the entire time. Everybody wants to take their mask off when they come in my office. And, By the um, way, that's a
0: conservative with a small C.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and then, just so
0: people understand that, because I think most conservatives are done with a mask thing.
1: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Okay. Um, and then three... Um, were okay with us not having uh, mask and gloves on in our inter- interaction. so it felt good to me to know where my clients were and to be able to meet them where they were at in regards. Yeah, to-
0: and I and I don't I don't disagree with anything that you said. I don't think it's really different than what I said. What mm-hmm. I'm reaching mm-hmm. What I'm reaching a point is is that I don't want to wear a mask anymore. Yeah, I mean that. So, if people want their practitioner to wear a mask, maybe I'm not the practitioner for them. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you say more about, besides just, you know, the freedom and civil liberties, can you say more from a medical perspective of why you well, first of all, I Well, yeah, first of all, I find it
0: really uncomfortable
1: mm-hmm. to
0: be wearing a mask. If you
1: used to all the time, you said, in the hospital.
0: Yeah, you know.
1: You've adapted.
0: Yeah, I used to play three sports a day. <laughs> 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 now, if I go for a walk for a mile, I... I'm windy. No, I mean
1: someone wants to know if you've been. T- if you're doing. Yeah, no, no, I, regularly. I
0: I test for antibodies regularly. I don't I, I don't have an access to swabs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sick, and I'm not going to st- get in a car in a line in Malibu and sit in line and get my nose swab. It's pretty long, right? By the way. So, yeah. uh, so Hannah, no, I'm, but I do I do have the uh, antibody test, and I take I take it probably every week or two, praying that I have positive IgG. <laughs> <laughs> still still haven't. At it though, even though I had a cough and stuff for several weeks, which is much better right now. Um, so, medically speaking, I believe that the idea that our mayor—people who live in SoCal know this—that our mayor has decided that you can't go outside without a mask, you can't run without a mask, you can't ride a bike without a mask. You, well, you, I mean, even if you could surf, can you imagine a surfer's wearing a mask? I mean, it, 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 they're, they're lunatics because there is no science that says being outdoors. In open spaces
1: in the heat. with the
0: same people that you happen to live in a house with puts anybody at risk and, and saves anything by wearing a mask. It's 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 fascist, it's 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 dictatorial, it's it's power it's it's not scientific. It's not scientific. I mean, look at two months ago the greatest scientists in the world were saying masks don't help. Now they're saying they do. I mean it, the, we, can't, we don't know for sure. We don't know. Yeah. Right. But we do know that exposure to other people, we know that's how people get herd immunity. We know that by isolating in place, most of the new cases. Comes the Gardner's back again.
1: <laughs> I think I'll close the windows while you, while you rant. Yeah,
0: most of the new cases are happening to people who are living alone in their, or living uh, uh, under lockdown. They're not happening to people who are outside doing living their lives. I don't think gardeners. I don't think uh, uh, people go for walks. People who walk on the beach. People do these things are coming down with co- uh, coronavirus. All right. It you know there are going to people who are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. But generally, people who disagree with people who say what I'm saying will just call will just call me names. They'll, they'll call people like me names. They won't argue the facts. And the facts are that no one really knows. It, you know, we live in a country that used. To the world and we have American spirit, and I really think that they being beat out in states like Montana, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Oregon, Washington, all right, New York, New Jersey.
1: They're there.
0: They're, the, 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 the lockdown rules, the things are being extended beyond belief. In, in, in Illinois now, you can go boating, but only with one person in the boat. You can't have have three people. I mean, you can have two people in the boat, not three.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of... That's scientific? I'm a big fan of Russell Brand, and I was listening to him this morning, and he was talking about, you know, how do you start to release this? Like, no one really came up with a plan when we went into lockdown, so thinking about how to start to unwind it is very, very complicated Thing. so I can see that it's difficult to figure out but um, I'm on I'm, I'm in a similar perspective with you about wearing a mask um, during the summer um, and outside with by myself or with somebody that I'm already hanging out with you know it, I respect trying to protect people who are immunocompromised so going into a grocery store or someplace where I'm around people that I don't know. What's going on with their health? Um, then I'm happy to, you know, respect that communally. Um, but my clients, who I do know their health and I do know that they've been sheltering in, and they know me, um, I feel comfortable giving this informed consent. So, but you know, not being able to go to the beach and um,
0: and just, to me well, just, just seems not, a not crazy. even just going. Do you know
1: what this is? HS six 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 six. What do you think about HS six 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 six? I don't know
0: anything about I know, that. I know. It sounds sinister. Yeah.
1: We don't know about that.
0: <laughs> uh, Pat, uh, Pat, Patricia, explain to us what that is. Is that a bill that's coming out or what? Yeah,
1: we don't know
0: what that is. Um, and Hannah says something about, you know, I'm a good example because I'm in contact. I'm out in the community. I'm in contact with many, many different families in their homes, and stuff like that. Nobody on my team, not me, nobody has gotten sick. Right. 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 But I just think that that they're destroying people's livelihoods. They're destroying business. Some of these businesses will never come back. Yeah. Um, you know, if if I can buy something from a company that isn't Amazon, not because I'm mad at Amazon, but I'm gonna to try to do that. When I can take out food, even if it costs me more money and I can leave a big tip,
1: yeah. I'm gonna do that. They're saying that 50% of restaurants won't make it. Yeah.
0: 50%. Well, and and, and and hair salons, I mean, uh, th- which is in the news lately, and just little stores that you you drive by these 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 corner malls these are
1: people's livelihoods yeah they right? th- that's
0: how they support their family and their clothes. and they're close for no reason if i can if a bunch of people can go into walmart or a grocery store and be and be safe why can't they, a bunch of people go into a you know a hairdresser store or a you know a small clothing store on melrose avenue or something else and be safe uh, the idea that that big brother or or our nanny state is going to look out for us is what is the definition of, of um, hygienic fascism? Mm-hmm. They want, no, now they're talking about no. not opening up until there's a cure. Yeah. All right. Well, th- there's never going to be a cure. And there probably will never be a vaccine that will be efficient and work well enough. And certainly not one that I would take. You know, I will only take a vaccine after every politician who votes for us a mandate to do it. they have given it to themselves their wives their children their grandchildren and then i'll wait three months and i'll see how they do we do
1: need a revolution it's true i don't know what that looks like but it is something that we need to be thinking about i guess that's the federal bill that they're talking about um oh it says yeah for trace tracing
0: oh that's a scary thing
1: yeah she said it is contact
0: contact tracing you know what in 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 washington now they're going to restaurants are going to open up, but they want the, they want the name of every person that comes into the restaurant in case somebody gets sick, so that they can trace. It. Is, you really think that that's what they want every name for? All right, I don't believe that for a second. I would never trust what's going on right now in Washington with the with the intelligence agencies and the Michael Flynn thing and all that other stuff. I wouldn't trust them with with, uh, with anything they say. You can't trust the media. It really is. You have to trust your common sense. You have to trust the history of our country and. And, and
1: nature, your your immune system, immunology, like, you know, the thing that got to me this week, that we talked about it last week with the two um, doctors from ER that were sitting together in from Bakersfield that their stuff got taken down, and they were talking about like being inside the house for a month and a half, wiping off all the surfaces, washing your hands incessantly. You know is actually going to lower your immune system and and for me what i have known about health and taking care of myself and my family for as many years as i have um without vaccines by the way um, i don't usually talk about that but maybe it's an important thing to say is you know um is that we need our immune system needs that feedback and so i'm concerned and and as soon as i made that decision to you know um start to think about it in the way that I've always thought about it, uh, I would say, um, yeah, that pressure was lifted off of my heart. You know, I really did. And, you know, I still can't do a lot of things that I enjoy doing. um, But I thought this statistic was interesting. Did did you read it? So the current local risk of transmission in Los Angeles is 0.0032. Percent. Percent with a total confirmed case number of 32,000 and population of over 10 million. So, you know, that's just when we talk about informed consent in general, things like um, GBS or uterine rupture or a a complication happening at home, you know, less than 1% for most people is a risk that they're willing to take. So, you know, you think about that .0032.
0: and, and piggybacking on top of that is these these edicts that are coming down from your mayor or your governor, these executive orders, are probably unconstitutional. They're probably not even legal. They probably don't have the right to tell you you have to wear a mask. All right. Because there is they're making a crisis. I mean, it's not like we've been invaded and uh, we're under martial law. All right. What's what's happening here is we are. Uh, being told to do these things and we're and we we've done them and we followed their orders for four to six weeks we're seeing the curve is flattened the hospitals are empty all right and now they're they're, they're moving the goalposts further and further down the way. now it's got to be a cure or a vaccine that's not what we agreed upon and what they don't understand is that they're losing their audience and, and people are people are tired of it and and people are gonna challenge it. And if you challenge these things in court, obviously it's expensive and annoying, you're going to win because everything that's being done right now is not legal. They cannot force you to wear a mask. And so what I I thought I would do is if I was walking in downtown LA and I wasn't wearing a mask and some poor officer who's stuck enforcing this stupid rule gives me a ticket, (laughs) all right, then I'll challenge it in court and I'll show up to the courthouse without a mask on and they won't let me in. So then I guess I can't go to court. (laughs) You're such a rebel. No, I mean, it's commonsensical. They can't make, you know, what are they going to do if a guy goes out on his boat on Lake Michigan with three people in it?
1: Probably give a ticket. Right. Just like they're doing at the And beaches. they're threatening,
0: and the t- tyrannical nature of it is they're threatening people who open up their shop to taking away their liquor license if they're a restaurant or taking away their barber's license if they're a, a haircut person. What are we talking about here? This is this is tyranny. Mm-hmm. So then I would practice haircutting without a license. And maybe we're going to get back to the point where we say... Why the F am I paying taxes and paying licensing fees to this stupid state? I'm either going to practice without a license and come and arrest me. And if every hairdresser stopped paying their licensing fees, what are they going to do? Arrest all the hairdressers in California or move out of state. And we have to stop it before all the other states get infected with this sort of bullshit. And we don't have other states to go to.
1: That's that's this is, what I'm
0: that's this is what cable. I, I, didn't
1: say I know, I'm just playing with you. Um, that's what I'm afraid of too is that it's not just statewide. It's you know, this is going on all over the world. And
0: then I look at my brethren who who are who are practicing physicians who they've lost their income because they can't do elective stuff. People people don't wanna to come to their office for their routine annual or their EKG or their they're gonna postpone their mammogram or their chest x-rays, so so they're not making money. All elective surgery in many of these states we've mentioned already is canceled. Hospitals are gonna go out of business because they have no money. Doctors are not making money. That's right. Science. Cancer's going undiagnosed. Hip replacements, knee replacements, things that improve the quality of life are deemed non-essential. By the same people who are telling you you can only have two people to a boat <laughs> or you can't buy paint.
1: Yeah, I think that that you know is the beginning of what you talked about, like your your son feeling depressed. You know, it's like that is something I talked about the other day when we were on. Is that you know um, unemployment, poverty, uh, domestic violence, um, depression. These are all things that are life threatening as well. And so you know we we've decided that this is something that is worth us getting locked in the house for, um, but. You know, statistically, people get in their car all the time. Car accidents. I mean, there's just, there's...
0: Well, we've done it. We've done it. We've done it. We've flattened the curve. We've done what they asked us to do. Mm -hmm. That they should lighten up, all right? And if they don't lighten up, then we need to have civil disobedience. And somebody said, uh, Patricia said something about a a revolution. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's not going to be violent, but I think if they keep pushing and pushing and pushing, that sooner or later there's going to be a confrontation with some poor police officer who's stuck enforcing a rule that even the police officer thinks is stupid, but he's enforcing the rule with somebody who actually believes that you know you don't have any right to be here and get off my property, mm-hmm. you know, and and pulls a shotgun or something like that, and then there's a confrontation, and then and then it'll be ugly, and it'll all be on the backs of these totalitarian politicians and people who just follow along blindly, and the press who's complicit with the whole thing. And part of me believes that the, that if you look at the divide between the red states and the blue states, you see that there's far more restrictions. Some of the blue states, some of the red states are, are, are have restrictions too, but far less so. They're far more likely to, to, to use sort of logic and common sense because red state people are not in for big government. They're not in for this control thing. They're not in for this Green New Deal utopia or how are we going to control the next person, you know, people's lives. We want to control. We want you to live in the city. We want you to take public transportation. Those are two big facets for for big government people. And look at the people who are having the most trouble. The people who live in big cities who have to take mass transportation. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much every decision that they make eventually turns out to be wrong. And it's pretty remarkable that they're consistently wrong and they're never called for it. They're never called on it. God forbid people that these people get reelected. If you people who are listening, don't talk to your family members or whatever else and say do not vote for anybody that's doing these stupid things to you right now, all right? If, Gar- if Garcetti gets re-elected when he's up for a re-election next time in our- my town, or Gavin Newsom, or the governors or some of these other, then you only have yourself to blame. They shouldn't get re-elected, all right? Thank you. Yeah, well, it is politics. I
1: know, but I'm not here to talk politics.
0: I know you're not. Okay. <laughs> I know you're not. All right, so we got we got Hannah saying domestic violence, child abuse. Yeah, I'm assuming that that's true, Hannah. However, I don't know that I believe those statistics either. How do you know what to believe anymore? <laughs> you're
1: going to get, what's that?
0: What's, what's zooped?
1: What's zooped, Hannah? Okay, so... I know that
0: I'm going to get, I, I know that I've already get, gotten things um, where I'm probably going to get... Cancelled or deleted or blocked. Probably. Yeah. Um, so we people will find me. They know how to find me. They can't take away my website.
1: We said that we were going mm. to read from your book.
0: Before I do that, I want to talk about. Okay. Yesterday, I did this really cool interview with Julie Sawaya. On uh, it's on Vimeo. We just put the link up. People could watch it live at the time. Wanted to know if they could see it. It's about an hour and forty five minutes long, and I think it's one of the better interviews that I that I, if I can say so myself. <laughs> Who you it with? Uh, she's a uh, LA birth worker, Julie Sawaya, mm-hmm. and um, it, the link now is on um, my website, birthinginstincts.com. If you go to the blog page, and then it's the first blog that's there, you can click on the Vimeo link. I also it's, uh, we posted it on the Dr. Stuart Fishbine Facebook page, which is different from the Dr. Stu's podcast Facebook page. Um, Maybe I should consolidate my Facebook pages. You know, how many pages can I have?
1: Yeah, why do you need so many Well, I have pages? a Stuart
0: Fish, but I have a personal Facebook page yeah. too, that I almost never use. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so I think if you have an hour and forty-five minutes to, to sit and want to hear a little bit more about, she asked some very good questions. We listeners called in or um, typed in some questions. We talked a little bit about Breach and twins, and then my philosophy and that sort of thing, and how we select people and why things are the way they are. And a lot of you have heard me talk about this stuff before, but I think this is a really good summary of things, and if you have people that haven't heard me before, I think this is a really good link to send them. Okay. okay. All right. You had something?
1: You wanted to read from your book. This is your book. This is oh, yeah. Stu's book, and we this talked about um, every week that we would um, cover something and see how you felt about it.
0: Yeah, well well yeah, I think that I think it would be funny to see not only how I felt about it, but how I wrote about it ten years ago before I ever started doing home burning. Mm-hmm. And I read, I read some stuff on it last night, and, and, and some of it's still very, very really relevant, and some of it's a little bit more like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. not-so-much-informed consent, uh, yeah.
1: Okay, so the one, there's... um. Well,
0: you have to start back here, though, because actually there's three different sections on diabetes. We we're going to yeah. talk about diabetes today.
1: Oh, well, why don't you read the part that you want to read?
0: Well, okay, I don't want to just read into the thing, but so people can buy my book at fearlesspregnancy.net. <laughs> <laughs> Even okay. though
1: you're saying it needs to be updated. Yeah.
0: Well, the genetic section is mm-hmm. obsolete. The rest of the stuff is pretty good advice. It explains things. It says, all right, so the lowdown, and here's the thing on the lowdown of on real diabetes versus gestational diabetes.
1: Yes, ask your questions. We'll get to it.
0: From the fearless doc, which would be me. <laughs> so this is, uh, it, because it's wisdom and reassurance, from a doctor, a midwife, and a mom. So there are sections in the book that are written by me, there's sections in the book written by midwife Joyce, and there's sections written by the mom, Victoria, uh, including some of the basic stuff. So when I have something it says from the doc, if it's it's from Joyce, it's from the midwife, that sort of thing. And- um, You should have called
1: yourself the fearless doc. Instead of what? Dr. Stu.
0: Uh, yeah, okay.
1: I like Dr. Su because it shows that you're very friendly, but.
0: Yeah. You're a list well, artists, it's honest. easy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: anyway. Yeah. Right. Rebranding. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? It's not, you know, that's an interesting thought. I don't know too much about branding, so. <laughs> All right. Let's see if there's anything we're missing here. Oh, we're caught up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cringy. What's cringy? <laughs> I don't know. Read. That's the person that said I'm going to get zooped. (laughs)
1: She's got all kinds of times for
0: us. that you're going to have to explain. Oh,
1: Facebook jail.
0: Oh, I don't care about Facebook jail. But I feel like it's a badge of honor if I get in Facebook jail. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, Kim, how's it going, Kim? Thanks. Okay. (laughs) Diabetes is caused by the failure of your pancreas to produce adequate amounts of insulin in response to a rise in blood sugar after eating. Insulin is a hormone that acts to maintain your blood sugar in a range that physiologically that's physiologically useful and desirable for your organs of your body to function properly. When sugars run high over long periods of time, years, it can cause permanent damage and malfunctions of your kidneys, eyes, circulation, nervous system. This form of diabetes is often called type one or juvenile onset because it begins when we are young and is treated by replacing the insulin by injection or pump. Type 2 diabetes is is called adult onset diabetes, and it has a strong link with obesity, and a genetic link as well. Okay, so gestational diabetes can mimic these true forms of diabetes, but some patients can be controlled with diet and exercise, while others may require oral medication or insulin. Most often, gestational diabetes will disappear shortly after delivery. Placental hormones, reducing your body's sensitivity to your insulin, causes gestational diabetes. When the placenta is removed after birth, the process usually resolves. There's ongoing research supported by the NIH, but this was 2010, that shows that a few women who develop gestational diabetes will remain diabetic, and possibly 50% of the women who have gestational diabetes in the future will develop diabetes. Yeah,
1: that's my understanding. You're at uh, higher
0: risk. And women with a history of gestational diabetes can do a lot to prevent or delay the risk of developing diabetes in addition to screening for diabetes in the years to come. It's important for women to reach and maintain a healthy weight by making a healthy food choice and being active for at least 30 minutes, 5 days a week. Still pretty good, pretty normal advice, don't you think? So something, all things haven't changed dramatically in 10 years. (laughs) Uh, Breastfeeding also helps protect against childhood obesity, which is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. So when your babies are overweight, they are more likely to develop diabetes. Uh, Blah, 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 okay. So, the next thing is the diabetes screening test. Right? Mm-hmm. So, this is this is different than what I do now, but...
1: Let's hear. Okay. The old stew.
0: The one-hour post-glucola test is the first step in screening for diabetes. Here comes our guide. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't pass this, you move on to the three-hour test.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: With your initial diabetes check at around 26 to 28 weeks, you'll be instructed to drink a bottle... Oh, oh that's not even working, right? What? My microphone is connected to that yeah, thing, yeah. right? you will be instructed to drink a bottle of sugary soda containing 50 grams or 200 calories of glucose, then one hour later your blood will be drawn. Then I say, by the way, if you get the orange flavor, it tastes like super sweet orange soda. Not too bad if you drink it chilled. Okay. Um, if you test positive, you will have to move on to the three-hour test. The three-hour test is when you have your blood drawn in a fasting state and then you drink 100 grams of glucose or twice as much which would be 400 calories, and have your blood drawn every hour for three hours. You're not allowed to eat or drink anything but water during the three hour process. Horrible. Okay. would never do it. Right. So nothing in here about (laughs) refusing the test, Mm -hmm. checking your own blood sugars without the screening, doing a one hour postprandial, or the the jelly bean challenge. Mm -hmm. What other things do you offer? Okay, I'm hoping that people are still hooked up and can. There
1: is a better process, Leslie. There is for sure. She wants to know who made up this glucose test. It's really, it's really kind of silly. But the majority of our population doesn't necessarily eat in a way that um, that it is. Um, a problem for them like if people are drinking sodas and stuff all the time then um, this is probably a good test for them but people in my <laughs> people in uh, his phone got too hot it can't see it no it's black um, okay. um so most of my clients are eating really healthy and that is a huge load for them so
0: yeah so anybody's again. watching and now now i'm up on my computer and we have a great picture and we have a new microphone so hopefully you're gonna hear us much better than you had in the past.
1: Yeah, our Facebook um, viewers let us know if the sound is better.
0: Yeah, on Facebook. So Hannah, if you can let me know if the sound is better than it's been in the past. We, we, we bought a new microphone, so.
1: I saw a funny face.
0: Okay. <laughs> so you were saying that, you were answering a question. I'm sorry, I got distracted. What were you saying? That's
1: okay, I was just saying that um, I just tell them if they're gonna cheat at all ever like with ice cream or juice or something that they should do it on that day before the test so i can see how their body responds when
0: they're yeah eating those i mean of it, again the there's the the medicine by algorithm or medicine by by people who sit up in an academic chamber all right and which is how most of medicine is done is really sort of is sort of the, it, it needs to go It needs to, we need to get rid of that. We need to bring common sense back into things. And what do I care how a woman responds to 200 grams of, or 50 grams, or 200 calories of sugary water, which is not how she normally eats. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a theory behind that, but I'm much more concerned as how does she, her body respond to how she normally eats. Just makes much more sense to me.
1: Yep, yep, me too.
0: So. um,
1: And that's a change since in the last 10 years for you.
0: Yeah, I didn't know there was other ways to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: The, you this this. One of
1: those ways that the midwives yes. influenced you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. And now I would say I'd like to turn around and, and share the favor back to my colleagues in medicine to let them learn to think a different way. But you know, it's it's almost impossible to break the academic stranglehold that mm-hmm. is on and, and how the rigid way of doing things. Yeah and we've talked about this many times before in the delivery room and stuff, all the doula people listening, they all know that some things are done there because they've always been done that way and there is no rhyme or logic. And if you were to ask a question about it, you would be looked at as a troublemaker or like you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like why is the baby going to the warmer or or why are you washing off her vulva with betadine?
1: Um, it made me laugh because you said things have always been done that way. And I'm thinking about how midwives feel like We've always done things this way, and so why would we, you know, if we've supported families for this long, why would we change anything? But if you want to
0: be a hygienic fascist, <laughs> then you have to make what the what midwives were doing look stupid. That's, right. Which, That's is what, right. which is what they did in the 20s and 30s. All right.
1: Um, someone was asking, isn't blood glucose naturally elevated during pregnancy?
0: I think that I think the response to a, to a sugar load is is blunted, but I don't think your blood sugar is is your baseline blood sugar is not elevated, not that I know of.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then someone asked if they could ask a question. We got sound
0: and picture are great.
1: Yay, Stu! I
0: have heard to carb load before the test. Yeah.
1: Uh, And Fry says to do that a couple of um, days before, three days before, um, I I think
0: that's cheating though.
1: Yeah. No, I think you should eat the way you normally eat. I mean, you know, like that's that's why I say if people are cheating once in a while by having something sugary, have it that day. But I don't think you should modify eating bad foods or foods that you don't normally eat. Bad food. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just, just just for the test so that's that's my perspective on that okay so there's a question um cord insertion and then about going post-dates and the
0: uh Swedish study
1: yeah
0: I what cordon I think you answered that on Facebook live that got lost
1: she said anyway answering about counseling women going over 42 would be weeks I guess is would be interesting yeah we could,
0: we could get to that Let's finish up the diabetes thing okay. too all right so then I wrote um, from the fearless doc this is what I wrote about diabetes okay I wrote gestational diabetes is a condition that develops in a small percentage of otherwise healthy pregnant women it has to do with the pregnancy hormone human placental lactogen which in some women instructs the body to resist insulin and causes their blood sugar to rise abnormally high after they eat okay I think that's like a fact I don't think that's debatable. Some, all, how we deal with it is always debatable, but, mm-hmm. but I think facts are facts, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The developing baby senses these high levels of sugar and puts out its own insulin from its pancreas, which is working just fine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So the baby's pancreas is working fine and is not affected by human placental lactogen, but mom's pancreas is. So mom has this higher circulating sugar level, baby sees that out, puts out insulin, but insulin as itself acts as a growth hormone. Yep causing the baby to grow very large, which can lead to complications at birth and also complications shortly after birth. Yeah. Such as the minute that the cord is clamped, the baby's supply of slightly higher blood of of glucose is cut off, yet they have these high circulating insulin levels. So suddenly their blood sugar will crash. And that's why sometimes you see in these babies, they get really jittery jittery and stuff. And that's why you have to have... You know, in the cases where now we're doing some diabetics at home, even type ones, we have frozen milk uh, in the well in the freezer. (laughs) Where else would you have frozen milk? Um, Frozen
1: breast milk. Breast
0: milk Mm -hmm. in the freezer, and we and when the babies latch, we take a little uh, tube and we slip it into their mouth, and while they're sucking on mom's breast, we actually inject a tiny little bit of milk as they're going along to help them prevent the hypoglycemia. Because in the hospital. Often an infant of a diabetic mother has to go to the nursery or the NICU to be observed for 24 hours, which is obviously one of the dumbest things that you could possibly do, separate. is to separate a baby from the mother's uh, chest and, you know, and the input that they get from the breathing and the temperature control and their blood sugar control is so much better skin to skin. But we have to take the baby to the nursery and sometimes they end up having to start an IV because the baby's blood sugar comes back 30 and that's uh, on the low end.
1: Mm-hmm. By the way, you can do that little syringe um, trick. It's kind of a makeshift SNS by using a butterfly needle. Mm -hmm. And you cut the needle part off and you put it onto the syringe. So now you have a syringe with a- Plastic tube. Tube. Um, So that's a little hack.
0: Right. Did I invent that? No. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so um, gestational di- diabetes is diagnosed by glucose tolerance testing, see chapter three, which we read, mm-hmm. and may be suspected if you consistently test positive for sugar in your urine at your doctor visits, which is another thing Well, people ask, well, why, don't, why am I peeing on a stick?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, they pee on the stick because the urine actually is a window to what's going on in your body, and if you have sugar in your urine, you're not supposed to, and if you have protein in your urine, you're not supposed to. So if you have some other than maybe trace or, or just a tiny bit, after you had a big meal or something like that, then you need to look and investigate why that's happening. It doesn't always have to be nefarious, but sometimes it needs, but it certainly needs to be looked at. Um, I like that
1: word nefarious. This
0: type of diabetes shouldn't be confused with other forms of diabetes because this one commonly disappears after you deliver, see page 65, which we talked. While pregnant though, you may be asked to perform finger stick blood sugar testing and keep a diary of your results to share with your doctor at visits or your midwife. Often a specialist such as a perinatologist or an endocrinologist will be involved in your care. Biophysical profiles to assess fetal well-being and possibly labor induction could also become part of your care plan. The outcomes of, in cases of diagnosed and properly managed gestational diabetes are excellent and shouldn't give you cause for alarm.
1: I've only had one pregnancy, mom so. test, failed the test. I don't like that term, but, um, and then we were able to manage it with uh, diet, Diary and finger monitoring at home. So I think I believe that it can most of the time really be managed with. Um, but I think its, it's diet and exercise. And I
0: think it's fun to read what I wrote ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And even then, I still had the positive spin on it. Well, yeah. Because that was the whole point of the book. Yeah. Joyce and I were so tired of spending ninety percent of our prenatal visit undoing things that people had heard in the community. Or from their previous doctor.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say something about what Anne Fry says. Anne okay. Fry. Is Everybody know
0: who Anne Fry is? She's
1: a midwife that uh, has written several books that kind of are, are bibles for a lot of midwives. But she's talking about people that the screening is not necessary. So low risk category, age less than twenty five, low risk ethnicity. Um, other than Hispanic, African African, she says African American, Native American, Southeast, Asian, Indigenous, or Australian, no diabetes in the first degree relative, normal pregnancy weight and pregnancy weight gain, no history of abnormal glucose levels, no prior um, poor birth outcome normally seen with diabetes and no glucosuria.
0: That's urine the sugar yeah. urine. Right.
1: So those people could actually decline. Because they're low risk, if they wanted to.
0: Yes, and that's yes. the informed consent that we give people.
1: Yes. So I just. Thought right, that was and I
0: yeah, in in you know in, in the in my old days and in the current days of most OBs, all these tests are dated to a certain time period in the pregnancy, and they're all sort of mandated. They're not. You're not given a choice. You're handed a piece of paper with a, instructions and a bottle, and say, "This is what we're doing at your next visit." And
1: a lot of people don't even understand why or know what the results are or any of that. Right. So
0: Got a good question here. Do you from, want to
1: skip that other one?
0: Oh, what was the other one? I forgot.
1: About 42 and the, the study.
0: Oh, the Swipes. F- yeah, the swipes mm-hmm. but, but the study, but what was the question exactly? I forgot.
1: She just wanted to know about going past 42 weeks. Oh. What, what's your counseling?
0: My counseling is that I trust the biophysical profile and I trust nature. And unless somebody has unbelievably excellent dates, all right, and and or um, is being surrounded by people who are making them more and more anxious, then I trust the biophysical profile. And if the biophysical profile at 41 weeks or 41 and a half weeks is 10 out of 10, and they come in at 42 weeks and it's 10 out of 10, and they come in at 42 and a half weeks and it's 10 out of 10, all right? Talk about the risks of post-maturity and stuff like that, but generally what you're going to see is you're going to see deterioration of the fetal environment. And if the biophysical profile implies that the likelihood of a stillbirth, which is the thing you're worried about when you go overdue, is very, very unlikely if you have a 10 out of 10 score, then there's no reason that you can't wait three more days. Statistically speaking, the rate of stillbirth goes up from every, every... week or every day beyond 36 weeks or so, it goes up. And even when it's your 42 weeks, it's higher, but it's still less than 1%. The problem of course is that in the, when they look at those numbers, there's no way to control for which one of those babies was tested with biophysical profiles and which ones weren't. Mm-hmm. They're all lumped together at 42 weeks. It's mm-hmm. kind of like when you look at birth certificate data or something, you don't know how they were cared for. So we don't really know if the rate is actually higher in women who have no prenatal care or don't get tested. I mean, I would suspect that it is, and I think there has been a couple studies that have come out that have said so. But I think that that overall, I don't like seeing people go past 42 and a half weeks or so, but if that's what they want to do, and the right. testing is normal, I give them informed consent and I let them do it. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're not going to get that kind of feeling in the hospital because everyone's nervous because they're quoting the stillbirth rate rising, but that stillbirth rate again does not, uh, it was not applied to women who are getting biophysical profile testing.
1: Yeah. And if it rises from 36, 37 weeks on, does that mean that we're supposed to interfere with every single pregnancy? You yes. know what I mean? That, yes. we go, that goes back to yes. common sense, right? Mean, it does. Right? It
0: means you should interfere with every single pregnancy. And I
1: say here in California, you know, it's 42 weeks, but in Oregon, which is a state over, made up boundary is 43 weeks. And if you look on um, chat groups for unassisted deliveries where no one is managing their pregnancy, people go to 44 weeks. So, you know, it is an arbitrary cutoff based on statistics. And again, we work on true informed consent.
0: Yeah. And also, I also look at the whole picture. If this is your first baby and you're 42 and a half weeks and the baby's head is high and the cervix is long and closed, Having discussion about induction or even going straight to primary C-section is certainly something that should be brought into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't bring that into the conversation, then we're sort of skewing our counseling in the dire- in the opposite direction of the, what we criticize other doctors for, for skewing theirs. Yep,
1: agreed. So
0: you need to give people all this information that, to the best of your ability. And not everybody has... We don't have enough knowledge to, to say what's going to happen and no one can be predictive of it that's
1: right no one has a crystal ball
0: but we also know that if you're getting anxious then you're less likely to go into labor
1: that's very true right yeah so um, Instagram we have one minute left so thank you for joining us we'll see you next week at the same time 11 a.m. you can go, you
0: can go over to dr. Stu's podcast uh, Facebook page because I got to answer this. uh, Brianna has a question. So if you want
1: to continue with us, you can jump over to um, Dr. Stu's podcast on Facebook. See you soon. Thanks for joining us.
0: Bye. Okay. You're going to end that one now? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So Brianna asks, um, I've been hearing from doula clients lately that their OBs are claiming that waiting longer than one to two minutes. For delayed cord clamping the blood starts to leave the baby and go back into the placenta Mm. yeah and don't hold the baby up high because then the blood will go back into the placenta too right because gravity obviously I'm I'm joking all right so uh, they don't recommend waiting until it's done pulsating I would love an article or study some resource to debunk this idea when my client hears this well again right off the top of my head I don't know which article I could refer you to but I will just tell you the commonsensical one of the complaints about delayed cord clamping, as Bliss pointed out to me, was that they're complaining that the baby's hemoglobins are too high. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you have delayed cord clamping until the cord stops pulsating and blood is actually going back into the placenta, which is nonsense, um, then how is their hemoglobin too high? It's one. It can't be both. So they're, they don't even know that their argument is defeating itself. But. My feeling about delayed cord clamping is that it's a closed system. So everything that the baby pumps in goes out, okay? So when the baby's being squeezed at the last minute, blood is being squeezed out of the baby and there's probably decreased venous return to the baby. So the baby is depleted slightly from its blood and the placenta is probably slightly engorged. Letting the cord uh, pulsate for one or two minutes is gonna help equilibrate the thing. But the idea that at that point, then everything reverses and blood starts to go back into the placenta more than it's coming out of the placenta, it it, it makes no physical sense, logical sense, common sense. Nature.
1: Uh, Why would nature make something that would that if it wasn't managed by medicine,
0: when we work,
1: when we've predated medicine that, you know, would would cause harm that doesn't make any that's what i think when you're talking about logical sense it doesn't make any logical sense and
0: i and i have i've had i've heard doulas and patients tell me stories about doctors who say they can't put the baby on the mother's chest because it'll be above the placenta and the blood will flow out of the baby into the placenta <laughs> okay so my question for this practitioner say it nicely is if the woman has a low-lying placenta and she's standing on her feet all day long is the blood running out of the baby into the placenta because the baby's above the placenta? I mean, the stupidity, and I'll say it bluntly: uh, it's e- it's either being you're either being stupid or you're being obtuse. One of my favorite words, obtuse. Look it up. Um, uh, there's no other there's no other argument for that. All right, otherwise, or you're just repeating data that you've heard from somebody without, and this is what doctors do all the time. They say things like, you know, there's a two and a half percent risk that if you have this breached baby, your baby will die. Or if you've had three previous cesarean sections and you try a VBAC, you have a 30% chance of rupturing your, uh, your, your uterus. Where do they get this information? It's not, I mean, maybe somebody Regitating. wrote it, maybe somebody wrote it once.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, Elvis is still alive too. Okay. <laughs> But because I saw it, I did. You saw saw
1: Elvis?
0: No, I saw somebody wrote it, that Elvis is still alive. (laughs) So he must be, because it was written down. I mean, why people don't, why people have lost the ability. Maybe, maybe it's uh, that the biggest disease we have going on in the world right now is dumbness or inability to reason or inability to use common sense to look at a problem and say, you know, this response to this problem doesn't make sense or this explanation doesn't make sense. And by the way, when you have a physician who who you ask a question to, you ask them for data and they look at you like they're aggravated or they look at you, just, as I've said, probably every podcast I've ever given, just run away. You, you don't want somebody who's... You know, I had somebody yesterday who asked me a question about, oh no, I forgot what it was, but it was something that I didn't know. And I said, you know what? I'll, I, I write myself a little post-it note And then I go home at night and I look it up Mm -hmm. and I have the time because of the model of care that I have to go home and look it up and then I text her what I find. Mm -hmm. But I'm really very comfortable saying, you know, I don't know that I don't know the answer to that.
1: It's good to know that you don't know everything about everything. There's too many things in the world to know.
0: The glucose test is really a screening. Why aren't they actually? having women test their fasting and one hour after eating blood sugar. Yeah,
1: that's what we do if someone's borderline. Yeah. And it makes sense because then you start to get connected to you're how doing. you're eating and how your body's responding and how you feel in your body when that's happening. And if you're more at risk for, um, diabetes term, then you started to teach people how to take better care of themselves, which,
0: why, why don't note. you do it? Brianna, <laughs> post-it note. Look for study on cord clamping and delayed cord clamping and backflow. Wait,
1: what do we call it now? It's not delayed cord clamping. There's the more PC term of um, uh, like
0: leaving the cord alone.
1: <laughs> like the real way it's supposed to be done. I can't think of the term right now. Anyway, thank you it's, for joining us, Oh, we have guys. to quit. Yeah, oh, we, do, we, have,
0: we do have to quit. We
1: do. We have to go.
0: Oh, hi from France. Oh, Michelle O'Donnell. We we love Michelle O'Donnell. Michelle O'Donnell stayed at my house one night.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying he was on. I was like, whoa, hi. (laughs) There are a lot
0: of diabetes in pregnancy since there is a there's a test with this COVID. The rules for this test is less strict. I don't know what that means, but but uh, yeah, I mean, by the way, the, the one hour test is set to not miss anybody. So there's a ton of false positives with this 50 gram glucose, which means you're putting a lot of women who don't need it through this three hour glucose tolerance test which is also a pain in the butt anyway that's today's
1: so advocate for getting postprandial test
0: for and, and for look at mind. that look at the Vimeo video on the, my blog page at birthinginstincts.com and you can find bliss at birthing bliss no at birthing bliss.com yeah. at birthing bliss midwifery on Instagram Yep. Yeah. at birthing instincts me on Instagram and then you found me on Facebook so you know where I'm at and you can all Share this with your friends, just make sure you tell them not to read the genetics section.
1: It's pretty cheap,
0: this book, I think it's like less than 10 bucks paperback. It's 10 years old, but it's still got really smart stuff as far as thinking, making people think positive. The reason that uh, Joyce and I wrote this book was because we were tired of responding to people's questions from reading What to Expect While You're Expecting and coming in uh, scared because that book basically says, this could happen. It's probably this, but it might be this. So call your doctor. Mm-hmm. Every and so, it's interesting how they're making like thirty bucks a book and telling you to call your doctor for answers. <laughs> it's a great scam, <laughs> right? So
1: have a good week, good. Maybe we'll do a third
0: edition. You and I. Yeah,
1: maybe. We'll right. have I have I you have the name. I
0: get the name. So <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care. See you next Bye. time. Bye. <laughs> be safe with your birth.